Welcome back to the Fallout Lorecast. I almost forgot the name of the show with all the technical difficulties we've had. We are streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash robotsradio, and we're starting a little bit late, but hey, no big deal, because we're back, and we are having our end-of-the-month patron episode with all of our regular fun guests, all our regular, you know, faces that usually come and hang out. Um, but welcome back to all of all of you guys. And I want to do a quick little introduction on this episode because I um, I want to preface this just a little bit before we jump into this. It is Pride Month. And as you guys know, you've listened to my show. I am 100% for diversity and kindness and can, being considered of different people's perspectives and the different people's lives and the things that we don't understand and the things that I don't understand and being open to understanding and sharing with everybody and seeing everybody's perspectives. If you listened to last week, I did an episode on racism and how racism is portrayed in the fallout games and this week we are going to have a discussion around gender identity sexuality and those kinds of issues and the our patrons fortunately have more life experience in handling some of the different perspectives that are not hetero whatever because i'm pretty bland i'm i'm pretty you know, straight white male. So my perspective is not, cannot speak for all the different perspectives out there. So I'm very excited to have our patrons this week share some different perspectives of the way those types of issues are handled in the Fallout games. So with that said, let's welcome back our patrons. I'm just going to go alphabetically down the list. We have a true dog coming back. True dog, welcome back to the show. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. Welcome, welcome. And then we have Fire Rider. Fire writer. Are you Sorry, there? there you are. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> Fire writers um, having as many difficulties with technology as I am uh, tonight. It's not the technology. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the brain technology. Um, and then we have Nunamur. Nunamur, welcome back. Thank you. And thank you, Tom, very much for uh, taking on this topic. It's yeah. uh, super important. Yeah. So thank you. You're welcome. And Soybean? Hello, it is me, the Bean. Is you the Bean? And, uh, I hope this episode goes well. I hope so, too. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And then we have Sunless Sketcher. Hello. <laughs> Hello. It kind of came in half, half, um, the... I don't know. The word you said only came in half of it, but that's cool. We get we get what you're saying. Hello. And then we have Victor. Hello. Hello. And then Zemnis. Hey, what's up, everybody? What's up? This is uh, this isn't all of our tier four patrons, but it's the ones that could make it tonight. Um, some other people had some other things come up. And of course, um, you know, hopefully they'll be joining us again next month. So it'd be wonderful to talk with them again as well. So to kick us all off, we um, we're going to start with Nunamur. And Nunamur, what is your what is your topic for tonight? Okay, well, um, what I'm going to be talking about is um, player, essentially player choice, or um, if it was sort of saying a, a character as far as representation, it would be the player themselves, the player character. Right. Um, and the way I'm kind of looking at this, too, is, uh, you know, this being Pride Month, um, it's a time to celebrate and learn about and understand LGBTQ+. Plus people and culture um, but with everything going on in the world right now with um you know people focusing on uh, people of color and the rights of 
like Black Lives Matter and everything going on with that. Even though we're going to be obviously focusing on uh, queer representation, it's very important to focus on representation of all marginalized people, uh, right. regardless of whether it's racially marginalized, uh, sexually marginalized, gender, whatever the case may be. So this is a very timely topic, not just for Pride Month, but also because of everything going on in America and all across the world right now. So I'm very happy that we're tackling this, you know, big subject. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and let me chime in real quick because all of us, and I know all, we have a large listener base and we all come from different perspectives. We all come from different backgrounds. And if this is a topic that makes you uncomfortable, then I hope you will stay with us and you will listen and you will hear some different perspectives than maybe you are familiar with. Um, it, it is my belief that if we don't regularly challenge to prove our suppositions about the world wrong, then we will never really know if we understood the truth. And I think that that's something that's wise for all of us to do. If you're not regularly challenging your beliefs, then you don't really have something to stand on. So I would challenge all of our listeners, even those people who regularly identify themselves as some of the some of the uh, perspectives we're talking about on this episode to, to, to be open to seeing more than what you already understand, because I think that that's the way we grow together. That's the way that we uh, individually grow and we learn to be more kinding and loving and respectful of everybody who's making it through this world. So I just wanted to put that out there at the beginning. So thank you, Nunamur. Uh, Mia, do you mind if I just piggyback real quick? Sure. Yeah, go for it. Um, just really quick as um, as a note is something that's really important among marginalized people to remember is this idea of intersectionality. So people who are mar marginalized because of one thing or another, because obviously no two of us can ever be the same, but it's important to recognize that uh, intersectionality and for marginalized people to be able to help each other up rather than saying their their cause is more important it's just differently important because of the specific issues and then also remember specifically um i've been seeing a lot on my feed just simply because of uh, queer queer pride is uh, is how i identify with it and uh the first gay pride is in the month of june because of the stonewall riots which were led by a trans woman of color and a butch lesbian of color so there's there's definitely a good this overall this is an a good month to be tackling these kinds of issues uh and however they need to be tackled right right so Nunamur, why don't you take us into this a little bit yeah so this um this is a conversation i've actually had uh at a couple different points uh on the robots radio uh, discord uh when i joined this wonderful and accepting and diverse community on the robots radio discord um I started communicating with a lot of other queer people um, and myself coming from a, a bisexual um, perspective, I was coming across many different people all across the spectrum of LGBTQ+, all that were fans of Fallout and of The Elder Scrolls. And I found myself questioning why there were so many uh, queer fans of these games, why these games spoke so much uh, to queer people. And, uh, you know, there's definitely many different reasons why that may, may be the case. And there's many different reasons for every individual that might be different. Um, but something that I kind of latched onto as a concept was the idea of, like I was saying before, of player choice. 
of two things primarily, freedom and choice. And these are things that marginalized people often don't have in their lives or they have to fight to get. And uh, it's not, it's, it's doesn't come easy. Some people struggle their whole lives and don't have that sort of freedom and choice that these games give us a sort of um, fantasy, you know, uh, experience to be able to have that. So representation in, in media, representation in movies and books, games, whatever the case may be, is certainly very, very important. And it's important to everybody. But this sort of representation is sort of representing ourselves in the game. So what ends up happening is when we come across representation of whether it's any marginalized group in a game, uh, somebody, when they see that and they experience that, it's often a, um, a very validating experience. It gives them a sense of a feeling of being seen, of being heard, of being um, normalized in a sense. Right. And uh, so what ends up happening to a lot of people is they will, whether it's entirely or just partially, they'll end up sort of self-inserting themselves there into their characters. Uh, sometimes we may create entirely new characters that aren't based on ourselves at all. Uh, but often it's the case that even if we're creating a completely different character, that character will often have aspects of ourselves in there. And then there are many players that play these games fully role-playing. They make a character, that character has a perspective, that character has a background, and they play the game based on that sort of perspective. And the thing about these games, and specifically Fallout, is as we're going through, yeah, there's a lot of shooty-shooty, you know, <laughs> blowing up super mutants, and that's fun. But one of the things that makes Fallout really special is all the moral dilemmas you come across, the moral choices, and what that says about you, and what that says about your character and your perspective. And so these games make a sort of safe place for people to self-examine themselves explore maybe different perspectives, explore different uh, aspects of themselves that maybe they've never confronted and they've never been in a situation that they may find themselves in, a life, or de life and death situation like in the Fallout universe where they are so immersed into the experience that they feel those choices and those mor moral dilemmas. Additionally, it also, especially since some of the games allow for queer relationships, um, allow for even perks such as in New Vegas, where there are perks you can take that essentially identify your character as being gay or lesbian or whatever the case may be, uh, where non-queer people can actually use these games as a, as an sort of a experiment or experiment is more, is more to to gain some perspective, maybe just a game, but the times these role playing are real, and so it allows people to explore different perspectives, and gain that perspective, and gain some some epic towards 
a person that may be very different than themselves, whether it be very different in gender. Oh, am I, uh, up? It says, it's I'm okay. getting you're, that I'm breaking. Yeah. Up. It's, it's breaking up a little bit here and there. Um, but yeah, I, I think we understand what you're saying. Um, do you find that that's been very important for you specifically? Yeah. Um, I'm actually just, uh, closing something down here. See if that helps a little bit. Can you hear me at all? Yeah. No? Yeah. You sound fine. Okay. Good, good, good. Um, yeah, I mean, um, well, I mean, I, in that, in that, uh, sense, you know, coming again from a, from a bisexual perspective, I actually had an experience, uh, with Fallout New Vegas specifically where I had, now this wasn't in the vanilla game, mind you, it was a mod that added in, uh, several, um, perks that you would be able to choose, uh, down the road. There were a lot of new higher level perks. And one of these perks actually allowed your character to become trans. It allowed your character to transition from one gender to the other. And when I knew that I had that as an option, again, being a high level perk, I decided to hardcore roleplay this character as a trans person. And so throughout the experience, the perspective of the man who was in the beginning of the game was physically female and then was able to transition to be physically male. But I, I played him as a trans male through the entire game. And then when I hit that level where I was able to uh, take that perk and then physically transition to male, it surprisingly, and, and I've always had a lot of empathy and a lot of, I tried to have a lot of understanding uh, towards trans people. It, despite being just a game it actually gave me a whole new perspective on that experience and that in uh, that um perspective and you know for a lot of people depending on their circumstances depending on their environment depending on their family their friends maybe even the area of the country or the country they live they may not have a safe space to examine these themes and examine these perspectives. Uh, in some cases, it may be that it's not safe for them to do that emotionally. And in many cases, it may not even be safe for them to express these things uh, due to physical violence. They may be physically endangered by examining their own sexuality, expressing their sexuality. And so it's, it's very important that people, and I think too, a lot of times, younger people especially, uh, need to have some sort of safe space where they can explore uh, these, these questions and try to understand themselves better. And in fact, um, as we talked about on last month's episode, Soy and I have started a, started a faction in uh, Fallout 76. And within that faction, one of our most important things that we wanted to do was to make a safe space uh, for people. And one of those focuses was a safe space for LGBT, LGBTQ plus people. And while we're not an exclusively queer faction, we're definitely very queer friendly. And I've actually had uh, one of our members uh, come to me and express how much it meant to her that she was able to join a group of people where she could, felt like she could be herself, express her perspectives, be able to talk about how she feels, and know that it was a safe place on the internet, which there's so much toxicity and so much negativity on the internet, and in gaming especially, 
that, you know, to be able to make some sort of safe space for people to explore that in a multiplayer game has been, you know, a wonderful privilege for Soy and I to start to build that sort of thing. Um, yeah, that's, but also, that's wonderful. Yeah, and it, it, was, it was nice having that expressed to us you know, because, you know, that was so important to us. And also, like I was saying before, you know, there, for a lot of younger gamers, uh, there's plenty of games where you can run around and have adventures, you can shoot things, you can blow things up, you can, you know, have a power fantasy that way. But for a lot of younger gamers, these games might be the first time where they can actually explore these things, where they're having that level of immersion and self-reflection, where they can... Uh, see how it feels to even if it's with a digital avatar to have a gay relationship uh or a bisexual relationship or a poly um relationship polyamorous relationship whatever the case may be in all of these games that they're able to role play that and see how that personally makes them feel and you know a lot of people don't role play that way a lot of people do just you know, play the games as a character or whatever. They're just running around shooting stuff and that's it. But most people do at least have some semblance of a backstory for the characters that they create in Fallout games. You know, and, I would, I would, um, I, I would have to wonder how many people don't admit that they role play a character or don't admit that they role play a character who is very different from themselves, but actually do when nobody's looking <laughs> you know like oh it's, for sure it's yeah. one of those things that maybe they're not proud to admit but it's still one of those things that they do and they just you know like if you were to poll people they'd be like oh no no i never i never do that because it's not cool or it's not socially as acceptable or whatever whatever they believe to be the case but in the privacy of their own you know playtime, maybe maybe they actually do more often than you would think Oh, definitely. And I think, too, like even when people say, oh, I'm not really into role playing my character or whatever, they still will have some sort of archetype that in their head, some sort of personality type that this character is. Oh, this guy's a tough guy that doesn't care about anybody else. Or this person is a, you know, a charisma build. So therefore, they are very charming or whatever the case may be. So there's usually some aspect, especially with the way that fallout character creation works you sort of uh have that built into the game where you are creating a character with certain personality traits or certain um perks or however that reflects the the character's personality so there's definitely an aspect to that for everybody but but for some people and i think too especially um for a lot of lgbtq plus people it again gives them that safe space that that especially in some of the single player games especially um where they can explore those things where they can be themselves or they can um really express themselves and so like i was saying before representation in media is so important but being able to represent yourself your true self in a game is very special and has been very it was it's been important to me and i've talked to many people about it being very important to them and it really is one of in my opinion one of the biggest appeals of the fallout series and i think it's something that really speaks to a lot of queer gamers as well
Yeah, I think I think you're hitting on some really solid points there. I, you know, I'm curious if we open this up um, to the rest of our our group, who else has some perspectives that they can share on this? Do you guys feel that this is something you've used in your own playthroughs to to explore these kinds of topics personally? So I would say that this isn't something I personally explored. However, it's a case of definitely someone from the outside looking in. But um, let me start from the beginning. Uh, I grew up in a small suburb in Kansas. So when I was in high school, I was out as a bisexual girl. I'm now a pansexual man, but that's besides the point. But I was basically one of only two people in the entire school. And mostly the only reason I did it, I felt like I was able to, is because I knew my parents would back me up. In that kind of town, not many people had parents like mine. Um, and I had three friends. Uh, two of them, we, we kind of all hung out as a trio a lot of the time. And my, the first thing I ever heard about Fallout was actually Fallout New Vegas from a friend of mine. I'm going to redact her name for her own privacy and also because I'm speculating. However, she really got into New Vegas, and she fell in love with our boy, Arcade Ganon. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> she was just really obsessed with him, and I think it also kind of sparked her interest in Latin and Greek. Um, <laughs> years later, uh, of course, after high school, we, um, I moved away. They, um, my two friends actually live together now. And the New Vegas friend, it ended up coming out that she was a lesbian. And I can't help but wonder if her being able to explore at least some kind of same-sex relationship with an interesting character by playing a male character and possibly romancing Arcade, I, I can't help but wonder if that gave her the opportunity to, opportunity to explore that I was able to have through my parents, but because of society and how her family works, she may not have had that opportunity. Yeah, it, it makes sense. I mean, you, you need an outlet for that. And from my understanding, and again, please correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to, you know, overstep or or right. infer I, anything. I but from, from I could be wrong that it was something totally different that mm-hmm. kind of led to her realizing that, hey, I like chicks. Sure, sure. But, but from, from my understanding, when when you are seeking to truly understand yourself, there there's kind of this impulse to uh, something feel something feels like it needs to be explored more or something feels like it's not quite the way that you won't feel like it really should be so you you find an outlet for that somewhere right and maybe that's in a game first maybe that's just the first you know out of the seeds of what ends up growing into a, a better understanding of who you really are well and just for representation having that opportunity to explore or even that high level perk that new said is um I'll, I'll touch more on this when I talk on my stuff, but being able to know that that exploration is there, just knowing that there are other options, can help people come to, come to grips with it and have that self-reflection of, wait, there's something else than what is considered, I guess, the default, is how I would kind of most politely put it. Right, um, right. And sometimes finding out that there's more than the default can be it can be a game it can be a book and that's why that representation is so important yeah do um uh, Zemnis, i know you had something you wanted to chime in with i'm just gonna say that uh, you know i'm really glad that Nunamur brought this up because um there's two very close friends of mine um uh, 
that I've known for, I don't know, it's been like 10, 11 years now. And at one point, um, you know, I, I was kind of in a, a bad spot with them because I, I didn't understand them fully. Um, and one of the things that, that, that they brought out was that they were, you know, transsexual. And I, I didn't know how to deal with that personally. And so I stopped talking to them for a while and let things calm down and try to figure out, you know, how they felt and things. And I actually ended up being able to play on New Vegas uh, the uh, different perspective of being a, a gay person and so on and trying to figure it all out. And it actually opened my eyes to a lot because, you know, hearing some uh, how the characters talk, like, I mean, I, I've heard stuff out in the real world with, you know, how people are degrading about the, this community uh, for that. And, and I even started playing the game some and trying to figure it out more. And it made me have a, a whole different respect for... Uh, people and the L LGBTQT community. I think I got that right. <laughs> Close. Yeah. Um, um, but and it helped me to accept them with what they told me, and because of that, they, they are like my siblings, my my blood relatives now. And with that, I think it helped me to come closer to them as well as kind of understand what some of the other people go through. And, and I've talked to different ones um, about some of the transitioning that they, they've had to go through or that they're wanting to go through and haven't been able to because some of them are scared. Yeah. Yeah. So you uh, you and specifically it's just a me. Sorry, it disappeared. I thought you were finished talking. You specifically no, sought out um, to do this in the game in order to seek better understanding. Yes, I did. That's, um, that's it, really cool. That's a really different perspective. That um, I mean, in that case, it's not even an an accidental thing you come across, and you're like, oh, it's it's a intentional tool. Yeah, exactly. And see, at one point, I was not sure of where I stood personally as far as. Um, you know, if I was bisexual or not. And I, I finally figured out what, through everything and through some steps that uh, people had given me and just trying to figure myself out. I, I figured that, you know, I'm not that way, but I'm not against it. And like with my, my sister and brother, I have so much more respect for them and what they've dealt with. And I know... Uh, someone had told me here recently that, you know, going through a transition is very, a very taxing, uh, progressive step, and it takes a, a while to do it. But afterwards, they feel so grateful and so relieved sometimes that they're able to go through and do this. And, I, you know, and that's why I wanted to become become kind of a part of that community in, in my own way, because I want to support those who, you know, have these different uh, problems that they have to go through while they're going through this stuff and, and be there for them and sit there and go, no, it's OK. You can feel this way. You can be able to be yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. And right. see, right. By playing the game like that, I was able to form those kinds of relationships and, and 
figure out, okay, so this is how, you know, this goes. And, and you know, the feelings that I got from that just made me, made my eyes so much more open. And I'm very thankful that I was able to have that opportunity. Yeah, that's, that's really neat. That's, um, you know, it's one of those things that I think is really cool to be actually, to actually take that on intentionally and to seek out, you know, like, let me see if I can understand this. Let me see if I can get a little bit more of their perspective. I think that's really cool that you did that. Thank you. All right. Um, Firewriter, did you have something you wanted to add? Uh, um, I'm not coming at this um, personally for me, although this is extremely personal. Um, it was sort of one of the ways that we understood um, a child better. Um, when he was born, we thought he was a girl. And, uh, but as he grew up, every time he interacted with media, he acted as a boy. Um, whether he was writing stories or playing games, he was always a boy. And the shot of that is that when he came out as trans last year, it wasn't a surprise. Yeah, it's all. like you knew it as a mom. You're like, yeah, yep, uh, I, I saw that coming. We'd been, we'd been watching it for a really long time, and, you know, it made things easier for everybody not just for us but for him and for our family you know the extended family because everybody kind of knew by that point and i'm just incredibly grateful that he had that opportunity to kind of test it out i guess is a good way to put it uh -huh. um, and kind of you know through that and figure it out and experiment and it's it, I think it's really incredible that a game can um, what am I trying to say be a part of that I guess right right can can work to help help with that discovery yeah 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 that's really cool and and you know I'm glad I'm glad <laughs> there are parents like you who are able to uh, handle this, you know, and I should, I should speak personally too. My daughter is, is gay and I don't have any gay siblings. I don't have any gay close family that I'm aware of. And it, it wasn't something that was difficult for me because I've never harbored any ill will towards people of different sexualities and different perspectives than I, than I have, but it was definitely something I needed to, um, learn to understand how to parent in a way that I, I didn't expect to have to, to figure out, you know, I, I knew when I had a daughter that I would have to learn how to be the father of a daughter. And that comes with certain things and there's certain, you know, statistical probabilities with that. Chances are she'll grow up and chances are she'll be straight and we'll find a guy and I'll probably have a son-in-law at some point or whatever. But it was something that I needed to to come to an understanding with. And I remember that there were, there were conversations. I don't want to go too personal because this is her life, but there were conversations that I had had with her multiple times when she was starting, when, when it came to the surface that she was starting to grapple with these things and she would bring them up. And I had to be, open to hearing her, but I also had to say, you know, you're still young, keep exploring and make sure when you, you know, don't, don't be too ready to define yourself at the age of 12 or 13 when you started really to, to deal with these things, but, um, be, be willing 
to keep exploring, to, you know, to find the tools to, to figure out what do I really think? Who am I really? What, what is, what is me at the core? And don't define yourself too early and then feel stuck in something that you, you know, in either direction, in any direction at all, that you may not want to be stuck with socially, especially a few years later, because that, you know, social pressure is incredible around these types of things. So um, <clears throat> thank you for bringing up that topic, Nunamur. This is this is a really good introductory to all of this. And um, let's move on to Victor, because we're going to get a little bit more specific around some of the more fallout like specifics on this. Uh, Victor, what do you bring this week? I bring up, um, you know, uh, touched on it a little bit with the mod that Fallout New Vegas gives you, but even within the Fallout lore itself, I, as a trans person, feel that there is representation. Um, both in the sense of people who actually change who they are so that it is closer to what they feel like, almost the definition of transition and then also the question of what is humanity um i'm gonna i'm gonna cover the the transition part a bit more first because that one's a little more cut and dry to me at least and in specific um thankfully somebody uh, in here reminded me of cleo over in my favorite faction of good neighbor good neighbors of faction fight me uh, <laughs> <laughs> Cleo, the Assaultron, uh, she is a woman. She doesn't, she is not an Assaultron. She has gone past her programming. And she is her own woman. And the, the, the dialogue you get with her is, she's not a robot. She is not an Assaultron. She is a woman who sells guns that kill people. And the kind of dialogue that you can have with her you kind of get both ends of the, get a couple ends of the different kinds of the spectrum of how people react to realizing that the person they're talking to is trans um i watched a playthrough of it uh just to refresh it for myself and oh man you can react really badly and when i was listening i was watching the players player characters say that to her i was like oh my god that's almost exactly the worst case scenario that I've pictured for somebody talking to me about being trans. Okay. But they're talking about a robot identifying as a woman. But I, I feel like that, that that's still there. Um, also, of specific note, um, with Cleo, is the other, the other part about it being like more than you are and also humanity is the synths within Fallout 4. Right. And in Fallout 4, you've got like basically two kinds you've got the ones that are still with the institute and then the ones who have either escaped or want to escape the institute and they are considered non-human especially it doesn't matter if they went ahead and got their mind wiped at the memory den they're not human um simply because they have a little metal bit in their head but what I see here is, with Cleo specifically, you can get into her terminal above, above her shop, and she has contingency plans on killing uh, notable people within Good Neighbor. And she actually has one for Magnolia, the singer over at the Third Rail, who is a synth. And the, the first line is, fellow working girl deserves a chance. And to me, that's 
that kind of points towards she she has a fellow feeling with Magnolia of trying to fit into this human world to be her own woman, to have her own way. And having difficulty at it, but they're still doing it. Um, another good example of just the total transition is uh, my, my, my favorite female scientist, uh, Kiri. Mm-hmm. If you go far enough in her companion quest line, you can get her a synth body, and she is functionally human. She is a human. She, as if you keep going further down that companion quest line and keep upping her your affection with her, you see her explore being human finally. Because before, before she has that transition into becoming a human through being uploaded into a synth. She talks about how she wants to know what it's like to be a human. She wants to, to, to have these feelings, to know, to find out. She feels like this is part of her purpose as a scientist. And then you get to see her do it. And her curiosity at the world is heart-achingly beautiful. And she's just so excited and so happy to be able to look and see and feel and breathe. And seeing her happiness at that and, you know, the relief that it was the right choice to me is also uh, something that is allegorical for going through transition because I, I'm like, I probably already said this, I'm trans myself. I, I have just passed my two years on hormone replacement therapy. I've been jabbing myself with a needle once a week for over two years now. And when I started, I was terrified because even though I knew I wanted it, I didn't know what the end results were going to be. There's no guarantees when you're talking about the human body. Yeah. But two years later, and funnily enough, it's this podcast that made me realize just how happy I was with it because I listened to the first episode of the Patreon episodes that I took part of. And for the first time in my life, I didn't hate my voice. Well, that's awesome. Um, it's, it's dropped a couple octaves since, since, uh, <laughs> and just having that, it, it feels so much of a fellow feeling in, in these characters. I see my experiences in these characters, both the, you know, the, the happy, the, what, what Kyrie goes through of, of enjoying it and becoming comfortable in what she is, and also the almost defiant in Cleo of i mean even if you tell her uh you're a robot though she's like i'm all woman and basically without saying the f word the writers of fallout 4 tell her tell you to go f off in her voice uh-huh. do that <laughs> like, there's that and then on a more societal level there's this question of humanity and that's one of the biggest biggest plot points I feel, or at least themes in Fallout 4, because the game starts off with you looking for your son. It starts off with finding Nemo. It ends on deciding whether or not synths are human, in my opinion. That is the final choice that you make for your end game. I would agree. I think that is the the culminating choice. And so the entire game is a discussion of, are synths human? Well, that feels really friggin' similar to the journey for trans rights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The bathroom bill. Who cares? I just want to use the bathroom and get out. 
Right. Right. Well, it's uh, both topics are uh, couched. Maybe not couches are, are surrounded by misconceptions. That's probably the best way to say it. And because of being surrounded by misconceptions and ignorance, people project their fears on them. So whether it's being trans or being a synth, there's there are people out there who do not understand. They do not have relationships with people who are in different in those ways than they are. And so they presuppose things and they, they post their fears on it. It's it's the same thing around race relations. You know, if this person is different from me and I don't know anybody like them, then I'm going to make assumptions about them. They become the boogeyman. They do. And I, I feel like, I mean, obviously, Bethesda was not blatantly talking about trans people when they wrote the synth by, by storyline in, in Fallout 4. But I can't help but wonder how many either people who are trans or at least gender nonconforming or who have loved ones who are trans or gender nonconforming worked on helping shape that theme. Because, yes, there are particular lines with like Cleo, Cleo or Curie or even Ada to a degree since she's been uh, programmed with uh, ex- uh, extra emotions and so has transcended being a normal robot uh, from Automatron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, would, I can't help. Uh, it's, it's this overall feeling of how how since pe- how people who happen to be made in a vat and have a metal bit in their brain get treated when they're just out and about, yeah. and th- you, you get the feeling that the only reason, for for example, you get the feeling that the only reason they accept accept Nick is because he's visibly a synth. There's right. no question whether or not he's a human. Right. And that also brings into the question of passing. You know, people will be like, oh, yeah, I'm fine with I'm fine with a trans person. And then they meet, say, a trans woman who still. Oh, you're breaking up. Are you still there? I apologize. It's my, OK. My <laughs> you OK? You still there? I'm still here. Okay. So they accept because they can tell what he is. And then you'll have somebody who says, oh, I'm fine with trans people. And then they'll meet a trans woman who hasn't been able to afford laser surgery, laser hair removal yet. So she still gets the five o'clock stubble, five o'clock shadow at the end of the workday. And her jaw is pretty strong. And she hasn't been able to start affording really fancy women's clothes. Right, right. It doesn't fit a single archetype. And so it makes them uncomfortable. Exactly. And I think that that is... Bethesda has dropped the ball on queer... has done both good things and bad things uh, with um, the queer umbrella of people who exist. But at least as an allegory to someone who is trans, Fallout 4 feels really close to my own personal journey. And... Once I started thinking of it, I couldn't help but keep remembering, because this is the only one that I've actually played, keep in mind. Mm. Remembering bits about looking into the Institute and the Railroad and the Minutemen and the Brotherhood of Steel and all of these arguments about what a synth is and what makes a human and what makes a synth. And change a couple words around and you'll see some of the politics around bathroom bills and humans, human rights. Yeah, yeah. 
So I'll go ahead and open it up to the floor and shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank, thanks for your perspective on that. Yeah, it, it all has the same very, very similar template to it. Um, does anybody else have any thoughts on this? We'll kind of open it up on the floor. If anyone else wants to chime in. Uh, Numer, I saw you pop off first, I think. Numer? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, with what Victor was saying about uh, not being 100% sure if, you know, it was the intention necessarily of the writers of Fallout 4 um, as to whether or not synths were a sort of allegory to trans people. Um, it's one of those things where that's one of the wonderful things about media and art in general is that people can like i was saying before about like self-inserting people can see what it means to them and that's ultimately what matters the most but i would be honestly very surprised if some of the writers weren't actually trying to express you know something like that because a lot of the a lot of the things in fallout in general are allegorical uh, to the things that are going on in the real world. and But the important thing is the way that it makes makes the player feel. Because the thing about games that makes them so important when it comes to representation or finding yourself in an experience within the game or finding an aspect of yourself within a character is that these experiences are so much more um, interactive as opposed to reading a book or watching a movie or whatever the case may be. In these experiences, we're actually interacting. We're, we're changing the world as we play. And so it really gives us that extra level of immersion and involvement in that story which which is why i think you know similar to what um what fire and uh zemnes uh were expressing earlier that these experiences can really um really change us and, and affect us on a, a very deep level and it sounds like you know the same thing for victor as well of, of finding that uh things that uh touch him you know and and really um make him hear feel heard and seen and understood to a degree um despite the fact that there's these people sitting at computers putting in code and <laughs> making mm -hmm. a video game it's still such a, a a deeply touching and profound experience that we can have through these things that some people may disrespect and say are just a game or look down on but we have experienced all of us have experienced being touched in a very a deep and profound way by sure. the experiences that we have in these games. Sure. Yeah. Any form of storytelling can be powerful and a form of storytelling where you can insert yourself. It only makes it even more powerful. It really does. I know soybean, you had something to say too. Do you want to chime in? Yes. Uh, going off of the whole, uh, like since and, um, to a point now in the chat, even ghouls, uh, relating to people who are gender nonconforming. Uh, I had uh, told Victor before I had gotten this really neat um, graphic novel talking about uh, gender nonconformance. And uh, it was kind of like going over all of the different uh, identities that people have um, gone over and talking about 
um, like, what's the word, like metaphors regarding Mm -hmm. them. And one of the things it did point out is that a lot of people who are uh, non-binary or trans oftentimes identify and relate to uh, aliens and robots and like things that are quote unquote non-human. Right. The other. Yeah. Yeah. To a point. Yeah. To a point we see ourselves so much as the other that it's easier to relate to these things than it is to relate to maybe human characters. Mm -hmm. And like, I can say that say like for the same here, because, you know, also, you know, I, I love synths, I love ghouls, and, and I love all kinds of monsters, and <laughs> Mothman, obviously. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, and, you know, this makes me think about other other forms of literature and games and things like that that use this as a, use analogies. You know, something classic like the X-Men was all about uh, being a minority in the system in, in whatever way you want to express that and what it must be like to be somebody who's misunderstood in it and is a minority. Um, so I was going to say, I, I totally forgot to mention ghouls, but I should, uh, simply because I tend to identify with ghouls more on the fact of, um, funnily enough, I'm setting up my evening medication. I'm a chronic pain sufferer. And a lot of people, I don't know if it's canon or just a fan canon, that because of the radiation uh, effects on the body, ghouls are in constant pain. And that's why most of them are all the smart asses that you find. They're just yeah. grumpy, yeah. <laughs> I mean, God, between Hancock and Charon from Fallout 3, I love Charon as well. They, like fuck off i'm doing what i want and you can't tell me like they they have a very much very attitude about that with and i always associated that with chronic pain as well but no so he's right they also are part of that gender non-conforming the non-human mm-hmm. because our society tells us humans are men with outdoor plumbing and women with indoor plumbing right so you have to fit in this box and if you don't fit in this box then you're not part of the club Exactly. And so when you don't fit in that box, well, what do you start associating with? Well, if you like science fiction and fantasy, people who aren't human. Yeah. <laughs> because if you yeah. can't be a human, well, I'll go be something else. Right. Um, right. Or that's, that's yeah. just the way the world treats me. So I, you see similarities exactly. in that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, another good, good example I'll just bring up of, of, non-hu- of uh, non-human, but actually straight up trans in... Deep Space Nine, I think it is. Uh, it's a it's a set of screenshots that just shared around every Pride Month, and I love it because I love Star Trek. Um, one Klingon is uh, embracing another, and I think the name was like Curzon. And so this the one of these Klingons is a trans woman. They were a man. They were bodily man, and they were able to transition and become the woman that they knew they were. And they greeted their their new their um their old friend, and the old friend goes, "Curzon, my old friend, it's Mazia now, or something like that. Clearly a female name. My old friend Mazia. That just being able to accept your friend, because no matter what they are, and that scene, you know, literally that is a trans Klingon in in science fiction. Science fiction is a great place to." explore this kind of stuff um my topic actually for this month came out of talking about trans 
uh, allegory and science fiction off of a friend's Facebook page. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, science fiction, <laughs> fantasy, um, all of this kind of writing has for years, I think, and I, and I don't, I think a lot of people don't understand how much of an influence it has had on society. But it has been a place where we can push these topics in ways that are more able to be mass appealing and safer for the people who seem to fit in the boxes. Exactly. Um, and I'll say that this goes back before even gaming. Um, there's a lot of issues with this author's writing, but for science fiction, since that's what Fallout is, science fiction has been pushing the boundaries on what traditional people and traditional relationships has been looking like, at least with Robert Heinlein, at least since the late 50s. It goes back that far. And probably even further when you consider the, you know, the... The mother of science fiction is a woman, Mary Shelley. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking too. You know, even some something like Frankenstein itself is a misunderstood other. It's a monster, but it it clearly is more complex than that. Yeah. So, I think for something that can be difficult to tackle sometimes, in a science fiction sense, not only do the fans accept it, like Neonummer said with his mod, which I I found find really interesting. And just as a side note, I really like that it's a very high-level perk, because that's the journey. You have to fight tooth and nail just to get hormone replacement surgery, or yeah. hormone replacement therapy. The surgeries that are, are, you know, I guess you don't say required, but most people wish for, thousands of dollars. Insurance generally doesn't cover it, cover it unless you can figure out how to wink all the insurance companies right. And even then... Sometimes you won't get it just because surgeons will be like, well, no, I don't agree that you should be getting the surgery, so I'm not going to give it to you. And I'll blackball you to other surgeons. Right. Yeah, the whole thing is is difficult. Yeah. But Fallout does does it pretty well. And for a gaming community, I know that the wider gaming community can be really toxic and really awful. I am glad that at least this, this little corner of the Fallout fandom... I don't feel scared mentioning that, yeah, I know it's a Mrs. Soprano voice, but I'm a guy, and <laughs> I don't mind being openly queer in this community, because if somebody decides to be awful, well, generally Ped's the one that's <laughs> Yeah, we have moderators for reasons, you know, if somebody doesn't... Moderators. And, and, but, and let, me, let me be clear about this, it's not if somebody has a differing perspective, that's not the reason nope. anybody ever gets kicked off of our community out of the discord or the, you know, that's never it. It's no, somebody it's decides hateful. to be confrontational and hateful. That's the reason you're going to get removed. Multiple yeah, perspectives but, are absolutely welcome. If you do it in a friendly, loving, considerate way. I mean, that's what the entire point of this episode is supposed to be, but no, I'm not ever going to be mad at somebody for having a different opinion. I'm going to be mad at them when they tell me that I'm not okay right. for whatever reason. Right, right. When you make personal attacks and, and assumptions about, you know, that, all that kind of thing. Yes, for sure. Well, thank you for, thank you for bringing this perspective up. I think it's, um, it's, I'm, I'm sure I just even looking at the chat and the conversations around this, it's resonating with a lot of you guys. Um, I'd like to move on to soybeans topic. And I, I hear this one's a little bit of a bummer. Uh, which seems to be soybeans thing, you know. We're kind of kind of used to that by now, right? Soybean. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> uh, 
look, look. Sometimes I gotta, I gotta bring up the serious things. Yeah, no, we, so got, we gotta we talk about them. Happy later. Right, right. <laughs> okay. Um. So my topic is about the tragic lesbian trope. And uh, just a warning, I will be talking about some uh, content warning type things like sexual assault. So uh, be warned. Be warned. Be warned. Skip ahead Uh, a bit. It'll be uh, about maybe uh, five minutes, (laughs) maybe less. Okay. So can you you define this trope for people who may not know that it's even a thing? So... Uh, this trope is a branch off of the bury your gaze trope, uh, referring to like burying the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, the roots, uh, yeah, in which one of the only queer characters are, are killed, uh, usually in books or movies. Um, and really the only reason they're there is for just like a quick, like, see, we have a, we have a gay character. Here you go. Right, right. Which, which happens uh, similarly to, say, black characters in certain ex- exactly. films and books and things. It's like, oh, well, there's the token black person, and they're the first one to die from the monster. Yes. Yeah. And uh, the roots of this trope is usually coming from condemnation when it comes to, uh, like, the bury your gaze or the tragic lesbian. Uh, reading off of my, my little blurb here, I, I have my little... Uh, situation where it's like you you see these girls who are in love but it doesn't work out because it never does so you have to move on because one of them will most likely die if you're watching a movie or a show and even like in today's media we see a shift and it's still kind of a same scenario where it's uh, oh the poor girls like they're just they want to be happy and be together but society won't let them they're being killed by homophobic bastards oh no Hmm. but in the end in the end the message is the same that these lesbians can't be together they can't be happy or, or women loving women. Right. Like, it's almost like this is a predefined path to sadness, so don't even try it. Exactly. Kind of what the underlying message can be interpreted as. And then bringing this to Fallout, I mean, last month I talked about Christine feeling abandoned by her family and her previous lover, Veronica. She left everything behind to seek out revenge for the wrongs she felt were done to her by Elder Elijah. And on the other side, Veronica, who was then abandoned by the family, she left her lover for. Mm-hmm. Like, both are still punished, in a way, for who they are. Right. But the woman I want to talk about most today is Corporal Betsy, mm-hmm. someone who does not get much attention. You might not even uh, remember who she is. Uh, she was a corporal for the NCR, and uh, I think it's the outpost that is near Vegas that she's in. Okay. And her story is truly a tragic one. <laughs> uh, so she and uh, her partner in the battalion, Tennis Spades, were ambushed by a group of fiends including Cook Cook, who was one of the particularly brutal leaders, Ten was knocked out and Betsy was raped. And in a way of pushing away this trauma, she began to be much more aggressive, especially when flirting with other women. And she, like, 
she goes through that she doesn't want to get help. She hates to admit that she was weak, that this happened to her, and now she needs to talk to someone about it. And so she eventually kind of agrees with you after you help her get revenge and uh, talking to some of her battalion members. And they all say, look, you cannot get over this yourself because this is a big trauma. You, you need help. And that does not make you weak. And that's the thing. Getting help for your issues never makes you weak. Like, mm-hmm. we are all human. Right. So it would be ridiculous to assume that somebody wouldn't ever need help. Like that's a ridiculous assumption. And so she does get help. And like to a point, we assume that she eventually feels better about everything. And hopefully, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I mean, like this goes back to the whole thing. Like every time I see a lesbian in at least fallout new Vegas, it was like, Oh, cool. Uh, you poor thing like what happened to you (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and it was kind of interesting because my first reaction when i came across betsy was uh i was angry because i kind of misinterpreted what was going on and i thought the the dialogue was that she was assaulted and now she likes women and I was like, oh, no, yeah, that's New a- Vegas. Oh, no, 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 no. No, that's that's even worse. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, you know, as I progressed through the quest, I was like, oh, OK, OK. I see. I see what's being said here. But still, I am upset. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and and so once again, it's like three out of three of the queer women that I encountered fallen into this tragic lesbian trope and you know this criticism really only comes from me in hopes that like in the future the fallout franchise will learn that while it loves to reuse old tropes some of them are meant to be left behind Mm -hmm. and i want to see some women loving women who get to be happy yeah well uh not to i mean in fallout most people have some sort of terrible end, right? Like there's, yeah, most of, most of the time things end up pretty rough or they go through something rough in their life and you find out about some terrible background to them, but it would be nice to break some of those trends. And you know, you know, it would be actually kind of interesting to come across a character who's like, I don't know, like they have a luck stat of 10. It's like, how did they end up with a happy life in this terrible, terrible wasteland? I actually, I would argue that Sierra Petrovita is the most positive character in the entire franchise. Yeah? Okay, go on. Because, uh, this is kind of going off of the queer thing, but here's the thing. She is able to set up that little tiny Nuka-Cola museum. She's supported by her local community. At least enough for her, you know, drink, you know, being able to... Uh Uh-oh. You broke up. Man, we're having some awesome technical issues. There you are. Uh, Petrovita. She is supported enough by her local community, at least the point where she's got a place to sleep. She clearly has enough food and water, and she has the ability to go out into the wasteland and hunt out Nuka-Cola merchandise. And that's her life's goal. And that's what she wants to do, and she's able to do it. And then she hears about Nuka World, and she has the freedom and the ability to walk from Washington, D.C. to the outskirts of Boston. Yeah, yeah, it's not a short trip. Yeah, I, I, I bet she did it on anything other than her own two feet. 
And then when she gets to New world despite the fact that there are raiders there she's still just super excited because it's nuka world right <laughs> like, obviously yes most of the characters have tragic or at least sad backstories but i would i agree i would like to see more characters like sierra petrovita because she's just so happy and wholesome and we need a little bit of that in you know the day-to-day drudge of the capital wasteland and the commonwealth yeah and you know the more the the real world starts to look like the wasteland i was gonna say if you're gonna go ahead and open it to the floor mm-hmm. uh i wanted to touch on the historical basis of uh tragic lesbians stemming from kill your gays sure. uh, this comes out of what was known as the Hayes code this is the first form of censorship that happened on film that was released to the media or to the public Hayes Code was for <clears throat> morality reasons. Right. Uh, it also said, you know, how mu- what kind of clothing a woman could wear on screen, uh, what kind of interactions could happen, things like that. And if there was a gay or lesbian character, they had to be portrayed in the most negative light possible because that was immoral. Keep in mind, this is the very earliest days of film. So we're talking 30s, 40s, maybe even earlier. And then, after Hayes Code changed, and obviously now we're, we get eventually to the point where we can see even uh, queer characters or whatever in film, those tropes are already now hardwired in, to the point where even when you've got a film about, um, it's a movie I really need to see, but it's a movie called The Danish Girl, which is about a real-life trans woman who uh, was supported by her wife, eventually they broke up, but was still supported afterwards, uh, to go through with as much transition surgery as possible. And this was the 1930s. Hmm. Even in their movie, because it did happen in real life, unfortunately this woman died on the surgery table. Um, but that movie had to end on a sad note as well. Not, because, not just because of what happened in real life, but because, again, kill your gays, or boys don't cry, which is about a trans guy who runs away. It has a tragic ending. I don't really, I can't think off the top of my head of very many queer, queer characters in TV and film who managed to get a happy ending. I could, if I thought about it, I could maybe come up with a handful, and that's about it. So, yeah. It would be nice to see Bethesda break away from from that narrative, since they break away from so many other things in their narratives. Yeah, hey, I'm sure there will be growth in this. Um, I think it's one of those things. I mean, tropes are tropes for a reason, because on some level, they're unconscious or subconscious to the writing process. They're the kinds of things people rely on without necessarily even knowing that they're relying on them as tropes. And then, like the first journey, right, right, and then those things are brought to light in say the growth of a writer and then you go, Oh, okay. I, I get it. That's, I, I can see why people would be pushing back against this. So I, I need to be more creative and, and break out of these tropes that have, you know, are so common. Um, so I'm sure we're going to see some growth there. I, w- I would be surprised, um, knowing, I don't know, <laughs> I, in order to be the writer of a game, like the most recent fallout or something like that, you probably need to be coming with some sort of significant writing background. You need to be somebody who's educated in this. It has, probably has a degree in writing. And as these topics become more and more prevalent in society, th- these things become more, I'm sure taught at the university level and you become more aware of it 
as you develop your own skills. So anybody else have any thoughts on this one? New number? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I do like to make a, uh, this is definitely a, a negative trope and a negative stereotype that uh, needs to end. Um, I 100% support the criticism of, of the way that storytelling was handled 100%. Um, I do sometimes separate some of the real world stories, you know, that are told um, in movies um, that have tragic endings only because those stories are definitely important that they're heard and seen and told uh, so that we can, you know, learn from those horrible, you know, circumstances of the past and unfortunately of the present. Um, but I would definitely love to see more representation of happy gays <laughs> right. in media. That would be definitely a nice thing. And strange enough, you know, there's actually a fair amount to that that does exist in um, uh, some Japanese media, um, in manga and anime. Uh, there's uh, quite a lot of storytelling in that which uh, has queer representation where the relationships go go well and and mm -hmm. happy and uh it's you know japan isn't necessarily known um on the world scale for being the best for representation and i'm sure for every uh good example there's probably three bad examples problematic examples but you know it does exist in some media and is able to be successfully told so it can be done, and I think a lot of uh, a lot of writers could do a better job of representing both. You know, because there's going to be tragedies no matter what, um, especially in Fallout, like you were saying before. But it would be nice to have some some happier happier endings uh, as well. But uh, just since uh, since Soy had um, brought up um, uh, uh, Victoria, um, I wanted to um bring up a little story about her in new vegas which was um i was sitting playing uh new vegas and i mean veronica i said victoria <laughs> uh veronica and uh thank you soy um and uh i was playing through her storyline uh with a family member who uh is definitely not a homophobic person by by any means but maybe doesn't have the best um opinions and best perspectives uh the most pro progressive perspectives i guess you could say and it's interesting how uh, representation can affect people especially people that maybe have some room for growth um because there's various different types of representation we can have we can have stories where it is a gay story where that is the focus is the queer perspective is really the the primary focus of the storytelling and then we can have representation where the person being queer is just one aspect of their personality it's just one aspect of their their story much like in real life uh queer people that is one aspect of them and they should be very proud and very open and be able to be safe to express those things but it's still one aspect of them not necessarily everything about them and veronica is a very good example even though she does fall into the tragic lesbian trope um but where that is just one aspect of her storytelling so i had this member of my family watching me play new vegas 
and uh, she had just like fallen in love with Veronica. She was all about the story, like really engaged in with the story. And then we're in dialogue and she's talking about her former girlfriend and she says her when referring to her. Mm -hmm. And my family member kind of chimed up and went, did she just say her? And I went, yeah, she's a lesbian. And just like, let it go. Just kept going through. And it was little things like that. And then she continued loving the character and being engaged and feeling bad for her that things didn't work out and that she was sad over it. And, and the tragedy in that case actually ended up invoking, or, yeah, invoking some uh, empathy and some emotions uh, from my family member where the fact that she felt bad for her, that her relationship didn't work out, that she had lost her girlfriend actually, you know, got the, got the emotions going uh, for my family member to really root for her and want her to be happy and want her to find love and be with who she wanted to be with. So while it'd be great again, to have more, you know, or rather less, uh, less tragic storytelling. There is, there are some examples where sometimes that tra th those tragedies can affect people and can bring out that empathy and really make them relate, uh, to them in a different way and really see and want, uh, the best for them. And it's just, it's just interesting how, you know, when a little line just kind of gets thrown in there and all of a sudden it changes somebody's perspective and says, oh, I didn't know they were gay. Okay. And they just accept it and continue loving the character. And so it's really great when, when representation can work that way. Right. Right. It, it gives them something to identify with personally, even if they can't identify with that specific aspect. Yeah. Well said. All right, let's move on to Firewriter. Firewriter, I'm interested to hear what you're going to talk about this week. Okay, so the topic that I am bringing here is allyship. And based on what I said earlier, you can probably understand why this is such an important topic to me. Um, I've always tried to do my best to be, um, you know, the best possible ally I can be. But now it's obviously critical. Um, so, um, I'm looking at this through the lens of a very specific example of allyship and fallout. And, um, I kind of want to preface it by saying the responsibility of allies and whether we're being allies for, um, people in the LGBTQ community or any marginalized community is to use our privilege to raise up their voices and to shield them from unjust policies and to try to change those policies. And there's an excellent allegory for this type of action and allyship in Fallout 4. And this is when Hancock attempts to protect the ghouls of Diamond City from his brother, his brother's bigoted new campaign, Mankind for McDonough, which has all sorts of shades of current events. Um, and while we know, as people who have played the game, that McDonough had been replaced by a synth, Hancock didn't know that, though he seemed to have some suspicions, but that's beside the point. Oh, is that the prejudice 
he was seeing against the ghouls was unjust and that he maybe might have the power to change it. And what he does is he attempts to use village as a human at the time and as the brother of the mayor. And, and that's pretty immense privilege um, to prevent these policies that they were proposing from becoming the law. And he failed. Mm -hmm. But when that failed, he then acted to protect this marginalized community in other ways. And one of these ways was by eventually leading them to good neighbor and then further down the road, taking it over and making it a safer place uh, for anyone who isn't welcome anywhere else. And I think that there's some really good lessons we can learn from um, Hancock's example of allyship. And I kind of wanted to look through those. Um, the first one is that being a good ally means you have to step out of your comfort zone. And there's good work that you can do on Twitter. Um, you can uplift voices, make donations, and these kind of things. But you're also going to have to challenge people. And sometimes those are going to be people that you love on their views, which, you know, whether these we're talking about homophobic views or transphobic views or racist views um you know and as we've seen lately they have to take to the streets and you may yourself become a target um, i wanted to kind of give a little shout out right now and draw attention to what tom is doing right now because i think it's really excellent example where Tom, you have this great platform, and right now you're using it to amplify voices that are often marginalized. And not everyone is going to like what's said here today. And as you pointed out at the beginning, some people are going to find this conversation uncomfortable. But that didn't stop you from stepping out of that comfort zone and being a good ally. And I think that's really cool. Thanks. Um, uh, Second thing that I kind of wanted to address there is that we're not always going to win the big battles, um, but that doesn't mean that we need to stop trying. And at that point, it becomes our job to look for other ways uh, to win or to create equity. But when we're doing that, what, we can't lose sight of the main goal, which is creating an equitable society for everyone. Right. Uh, the third point um, is that Hancock is not a perfect ally. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a perfect ally. I do my best. <laughs> but you don't have to be a perfect ally. What you do have to do is listen. And if someone tells you you messed up, accept that. And don't jump to defend yourself, but understand what went wrong and do better next time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a journey. And, it's, um, it's, yeah. um, it's, uh, if you don't mind me chiming in a little bit, um, oh, that's pretty much <laughs> what okay. I had to say. So go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, 
it's an interesting perspective to be in, and I don't want to draw too much attention from people who are personally uh, involved in this themselves, because I don't want to say, well, you guys are having rough, but we got a rough too. And that's not by any means what I'm trying to do here. Um, but I would like to highlight that um, being an ally is, has its own difficulties. For example, um, in trying to be caring and considerate, what are the best ways to go about that? In it, It's... On some levels, it's wrong to assume that you can swoop in and help save the day because you're, you're the ally. But at the same time, right. we should be stepping up to pitch in and to say things, but not with the expectation that somebody else can't pick themselves up and do it themselves with the idea that we can do this together. Right. There's there's a fine delineation there. There's a there's a line between those two things. Um it's and it's it's I don't know. It's a whole process of learning what are the best ways to support and be available and to use mm-hmm. our platforms and to use our voices and to bring up in kindness and compassion these kinds of conversations. Um, and one of the things I wanted to to pose to you, especially with the situation that you've uh, relayed earlier, is do you have family members that you've come into conflict with or that you had a hard My time God, yes. talking to about this I, because I think God, we, yes. we probably all do you know there are people in my extended family who and thankfully you know my parents don't have issues with the things that you know I talked about with my daughter like they're a hundred percent supportive they're very supportive of me and my decisions in my life and the things and the struggles that I've had um, but there are people who have different perspective, perspectives than we do and we have to approach that differently so is there anything you can relay from your perspective and your experience that might help somebody in a similar situation? I think um, around yourself with those voices. That's, I mean, that's my number one to go. Um, if I'm not sure, I ask. Um, and, but at the same time, don't expect other people to do the work for you. That's not fair either. There are so many great books. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. People have done the work. Google. look for that follow people on twitter right. um, have you, so much good information yeah sorry ha, have you made any headway in um approaching somebody in your family who isn't as receptive to these things and being able to kind of they, bring them a little bit closer and, and a little bit more understanding one person yes um, other people no okay do you know um, can you point to anything specific that worked uh, a way that education yeah um, a lot of education, um, kind of taking it from different perspectives sometimes. Um, I think one of the things that really helped with um, the person I'm thinking of who was not, it was a weird situation because she was claiming to be supportive, but then saying just incredibly unsupportive things. I mean, there was a point where I'm not a violent person, but oh lordy. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) that would not have helped. Um, (laughs) But it was kind of getting someone on board who also kind of struggled with it at first and having that person talk to them um, Mm -hmm. got us some headway. Still kind of hoping that that might be the case for the other people I'm thinking of who have not really come around (laughs) um and and they may not you know there's a lot of um there's a lot of pressure sometimes from other groups to not come around sure i was if i may may um put in this is actually something my (laughs) 
my mom has been on a podcast before actually uh-huh. and the name of the podcast the, the guy's name called they think atheist and the name of the podcast was my religious family members are driving me out of my mind and my mom's my mom spoke up because my my family is very small my both my parents were the black sheep of their family so the the extent of my extended family was both sets of grandparents one aunt and uncle couple and two sets of great grandparents on the other side and both of the both of the great grandfathers died before i hit 10. and after i came out as bi my mom's like listen Grand and granddaughter are the ones who are closest to you and they w- just wouldn't understand they would want to love you but they wouldn't understand that it would just hurt so just hold on to it for a few years no big deal i don't want to talk to my uh, my granddad about who i'm dating anyways because he's a bigot in other <laughs> right sure <laughs> well eventually both my granny and granddad die and then i came out as a man and my uncle went on a very violent tirade on my facebook when i came out which ended with him basically calling me an abomination before god and the family and at that point my mom essentially cut off con- contact with her brother wow to the where the thing is is if if he came forward with the attitude that like some of your family may have fire with at least some kind of willingness to be educated I would leap right on it. I don't have much family, and I would love to be maybe not his nephew, but a nephew to an uncle. My 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 uncle likes uh, hunting, and if he wasn't a bigoted beep beep beep, I I'd love to go on a hunting week weekend with him. Go hunt some go hunt some quail, drink some beer, shoot off a couple rounds, you know. But he doesn't. He doesn't want. Right. To be educated. Right. He is flat out a narcissist, basically. So, on the one hand, yes, there's definitely education, but only if they're willing. Yeah. If you have people in your life who are blatantly, violently hateful towards people that you hold dear, there is going to be a point when you're going to have to make a decision. Yeah, well, um, once once it's violent yeah. and angry, that uh, I mean, it kind of crosses a barrier, right? There's there are safety yes. issues. Um, it, it's, um, that and that actually, is a clear like, point. Yeah, apparently after after I came out, my parents visited him a couple more times. My uncle was physically violent after he drunk, so they stopped visiting. Yeah, that's um, that's a problem. <laughs> but overall, if even if it's not violent, but they just don't want to be educated, they are one hundred percent sure. We love you, but you're not right. So we can't show that we love you until you become right. Even that can be incredibly hurtful. In yeah, fact, which, in some ways, it's more hurtful because they are claiming to love you. Right, and and to me, that sounds completely backwards. Um, and and it does. Well, allow me to chime in here because I, I would love to um, summarize this a little wanted, bit. I just wanted to finish it. Is oh if sure. You come up to that point where you've offered to educate them. You've come forward with the understanding but they're still refusing. If you have to cut off contact, the biggest thing my parents have taught me about my family is that essentially the, 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 you know, there's that saying blood is thicker than water. The full meaning of it, the full original quote is the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. 
which means the people that you choose to keep in your life will always be closer to you than those who you happen to be related to because of blood or legal reasons. And as people, you have every right to make sure that you are not surrounded by toxic people, that you are surrounded by people. You don't want to create an echo chamber, obviously, but you don't have to subject yourself to people who are hurtful to yourself or to your loved ones simply because they happen to be your third cousin twice removed. Right, right. And I think this is a place where um, allies with parents, siblings, friends um, who are allies can can step in in a way that can set the tone and can help buffer and protect the, the people that we care about who are going through these things. Um, and I'm coming at this from it and I have kind of a story I'd like to share just real quick at the end of this. Um, but from, from the perspective of somebody, and I've mentioned this before, I studied philosophy, I studied religious studies, you know, Christianity, all sorts of different belief systems. Um, the Bible very, very, uh, deeply. And I can put myself in the shoes of anybody from any, you know, religious perspective and probably argue their points at this point and say, well, here's what I believe in. This is why, um, and there was a situation that came up, and this is tangentially related, at a family gathering of my wife's extended family about a year and a half ago. And we were uh, getting together for holidays, and um, an uncle happened to note something in conversation while we're sitting there at the table about his belief that, say, the world was 6,000 years old. And I... I don't think that that is scientifically sound. I think that that is a manipulation of the evidence in order to support a very niche perspective on uh, an interpretation of scripture. Um, and unfortunately, in that moment, I snickered to myself because I thought it was funny that somebody would actually believe that and I'm sitting next to them because to me that seems ridiculous and that wasn't the loving way to respond. So that turned into a conversation where he went on this rant about all the reasons why science is wrong and manipulative and blah, 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 all of these different things. Right. And I'm relating this to the, uh, the queer, the LGBTQ plus issue, like all of that stuff, because people of that mindset oftentimes use that same kind of, uh, false logic in order to justify their attacks or their willingness to disconnect from family members, their um, justification that this is not biblical morality, all of those kinds of things, which I can go into on a much later you know, episode about every time it states anything about gay representation or any, anything about homosexuality at all in the Bible and how each there's like what, three or four different locations in the Bible and each of those sections can it has been highly taken out of context and is very not specific to anything that we're going through in the modern age anyway put all that stuff aside at the end of this conversation it was a very tense conversation different family members started to chime in um he was clearly not willing to see any perspective but his own and i was saying well if you if you consider this then this and if you consider this then this and by the end of the conversation he was very upset that i had a different perspective than with him and said he needed to leave and in that moment, we 
he gets up to leave and then somebody else at another table says, oh, but we didn't get family pictures yet. So we had the most uncomfortable family picture with everybody standing at the front of the house taking a photo. Right. And then he and his family, his, you know, close family decide they're going to get up and leave. And some people talked and stuff. And so at that moment, I, I decided to go up to him and I looked at him. I held him by both of the shoulders. I looked him in the eyes. I'm not blood related to him, but I'm related through marriage. And I said, listen, I love you. And I gave him a hug. And I said, it's my belief that none of us are done growing. So why don't we continue this conversation later? How's that sound? And he looked at me and he said, you know what? I love you too. All right. See you later. And that was it. That was the way the conversation ended. And I relay that entire story to show, and he wasn't violent. He was just very upset with the way that the conversation had gone. And I relay this to show an example of what I believe to be the best way to handle these situations. And that is in having love and show in being, if somebody's going to use a moral argument against you, then you need to stand on superior moral ground. You need to say, I will, I will not get angry. I will accept and I will listen. And you need to model for them what the truly good moral way of handling something like this is. That's the only way to bridge the gap in my understanding. It is to, to create a relationship there where you show that you're willing to take those steps, where you're willing to be forgiving, where you're willing to be open and caring and give a physical hug in the midst of a difficult situation. If we both retreat to our, our barricades and we all you know, board up the windows, nobody's ever going to bridge the gap. Um, now, like Victor was saying, that is a 100% different situation if somebody gets violent or if somebody's threatening you and those kinds of things. But in a situation where it's a heated debate, that might actually be the best course of action. Uh, Victor, did you have something else you wanted to say? Um, not terrible much. Just, yeah, I, the... Overall, when you're talking on talking to people you already know or already have some sort of relationship with, um, be it family or family by by legality in your case, or even a situation where it's your teachers, your classmates, your coworkers, you definitely want to do as much as you can on your side to de-escalate. Right. But at the same time, this this philosophy, while I respect it greatly, especially when you're talking about in that situation, family, friends, coworkers. When you're talking about some rando on the internet or somebody who is trying to aggravate you or is coming at you even mildly aggressive when you are, say, at a protest, this is something I actually have very personal experience with um, due to my activities and my youth uh-huh. back in Kansas City. Don't feel like you have to be nice just because of the social contract at that point. Right, right. If they, well, get, if they, if they get confrontational, you have every right to walk away and not listen to their argument. A hundred percent. And and these are two very different situations because that's, that's, the way I... Conversation there. Yeah, and this is somebody you don't know. It, the way I understand it is you are never going to affect somebody else's opinion about anything until they hand you the psychological card that says... I have a relationship where I'm close enough to you to value your opinion. Once they hand you that, that card, you can start to affect that opinion. Until they do that, you're never going to move the needle. 
And, exactly. and that's um, why, and that's why when I'm talking about like family and close friends and, and those kinds of things that people you work with, like that, that social contract can be made. That card can be handed over. And at some point it will be, if, if you're able to hang on and be a good friend and be caring and model that for them. And they're a reasonable person. That's best case scenario. In some cases you could try and it, it, it'll, never, it'll never happen, but at least you can look back and say, you know what? I did the right thing. I gave it my best try. I, I just wanted to step out of my way to make that distinction simply because there is a stereotype or an expectation of those of us who are marginalized who speak up and say, hey, this is up, this is bad, and we say it for a while, and then we start getting angry because nobody's listening to us. Right. Um, very blatantly, stuff like stuff what's happening with the Black Lives Matter movement is people are getting upset that they aren't protesting peacefully anymore that they're getting angry and oh the only way to get this get this uh, across is to be completely peaceful in you can't expect somebody who you you can't expect somebody to be perfectly polite to absolutely everyone who adds um best way to put it is uh you familiar with chinese water torture you're uh, tied right. down completely yes. emotionless get drops of water on your forehead yeah, yeah. That's what most forms, unless you're being really obvious about homophobia, transphobia, racism, sexism, that's how most forms of these isms come across in our modern society. They aren't being smacked across the face uh, in the wrong bathroom or across burning in somebody's yard. It's small, quiet little things time and time and time again. Right. And right. It wears on you. A person can only take so much before they start getting upset. Right. And so the idea that you always have to be polite, you always have to be the bigger person, is really harmful to people who are trying to step up to have their to you know stand stand up for themselves. Yeah, That's just yeah. What I wanted. To yeah, external. In a, yeah, in in out in the world, external situations with the people you don't know, uh, different different things work in, and are effective in different ways. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm just talking personal relationships. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, it, the, I just wanted to bring it up because it is a trope or idea that people in positions of privilege, maybe not power, but privilege, use either knowingly or unknowingly to undermine the entire points that the marginalized person is trying to get across. Right. It changes the topic. Yeah, it changes the topic. It's like, oh, well, we're not talking about what you're actually talking about. We're talking about how awful it is that you're angry right now. Right, right. And which that is, ruins the situation. Yeah, and that, that, that is, is, yeah. Since that is so common, I did want to get that across. And so I do apologize if I was a bit overbearing on that. But oh, no, no, you're fine. I've times in my time. Yeah, yeah, no, I, you're fine. And, um, you know, thank you for the opportunity to clarify that. I, I'm not saying necessarily in that situation that this is the best tactic. I'm thinking, you know, like my question with Firewriter on personal yeah. situations with family members and things like that. Um, we'll tell you what, why don't we wrap up the episode? I think we're, we're getting close Let to the end think. here. Mm-hmm. I think we'll be good. Wait, what was that? Nunamer unmuted. Oh, Nunamer? Hey, Nunamer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I just, I just said one, uh, one thing I wanted to highlight um, real sure. quick as far as what Firewriter was saying. Um, with the, uh, one of the last things uh, that she had mentioned was um, how to handle, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, big scale stuff, you know, things like, highlighting voices or getting involved in whether it be protests or uh, getting, you know, actively involved in, in uh, fighting for good causes. 
Um, but in interpersonal stuff, as far as when we make mistakes, when we say the wrong thing, if we uh, use the wrong pronoun or we um, say something that, is, that offends somebody, that, that hurts somebody's feelings, whatever the, whatever the case may be, the importance of, like she said, not rushing to defend yourself and rather apologizing. And then the most important thing to do is to listen, is just to open up your heart and admit that you messed up and uh, really listen to the person and understand where they're coming from, how you hurt them. Because that's that's I always say empathy is is everything. Empathy is the most important emotion that we can have. And yeah. if we really open ourselves up to be empathetic to people, it involves listening. And if we start on on our own with our relationships first, with our interactions with people, that's the most important first step is knowing that like we were saying that um that hancock was is not a perfect example he's uh if fire and i were talking about hancock and we we're saying he's uh perfectly imperfect um because you know it, he definitely made mistakes and along the way and it did a lot of things that were harmful to himself um and made you know failed along the way but by listening by really listening to people and opening up our hearts, we can start to cause more change in ourselves. And by causing change in ourselves, we then can take that change that we've experienced and hopefully turn that external and turn that into motivation and fuel uh, to get us to cause societal change as well. So just that, that important point of empathy, of being empathetic to everyone we come across as much as we possibly can and admitting that we're going to make mistakes and being honest about that and honest with ourselves is, is really right. the most important first step. Right. Yeah. I like, I like the idea that um, none of us are at the end of our story. And I think that as humans, we tend to always view every situation as if it's already at the end. And that's no way to treat yourself. You're not at the end of your own story. We're all still in development. We're still we're changing and we should be viewing ourselves as that way. We're all still working. We're actively pursuing to improve ourselves or we should be. And, um, and once you, once you're no longer doing that, you kind of gave up, you know, like you're kind of done. And that's, I don't know, in my opinion, as soon as you don't think you need to change anymore, you're automatically wrong. Um, so that's my thoughts on that. Well, guys, thank you for joining me this this week, this month, and for all of the insight and all of the things you guys have shared. Um, it's been uh, really educational to me, and I hope to our listeners as well. Zemnis, did you want to add anything else right here at the end? Yeah, I was just going to say, because um, with what Firewriter, Victor, Noonan, or even yourself had said, you know... Uh, and it kind of goes back to my original uh, experience that I had. When I first found out that my sister and brother were uh, trans, that I immediately got upset with them, you know, and I, I didn't realize how big of a mistake it was for me to be that upset because of how I, I was taught, you know, growing up and everything. And 
And after the whole thing happened where I stopped talking to them for, uh, I forgot how long it was. It was quite a long time. Um, I took that time to really reflect on how I acted and what I did and what I said. And, and I thought about it and I, I realized they have feelings too. They, that they have thoughts and they have feelings and, and that I didn't listen to exactly what they were saying. I wasn't calmly approaching the situation or being going through with an open mind. So what I did was, you know, along with the game and I started talking to them again, eventually I started asking questions. I started wondering, okay, well, what does a person have to go through in order to go through all these changes? And I looked up the research and I saw some of the uh, documentaries on certain things that somebody had gone through to go through all this stuff and if you're not willing to have an open mind with it and to open your heart to the possibility of somebody being truly happy with themselves you know that person is no better than you know the 50 other people that are being really negative and hurtful to yourself you know if you were bullied you know growing up uh in school just because you were shorter than the rest of the people or you were wearing glasses or whatever you know it's something we really all have to consider and we have to really stand up for all these ones that don't have a voice or that do have a voice but are afraid to show it yeah yeah i think that's a really good point And and i like that you are joining us on this episode in order to model what that's like for people who might be in similar situations and struggling with trying to understand. Um, I think that's really, really cool. All right, guys. Well, let's, let's wrap this up. Um, I know everybody can get reach can be reached on our robots radio discord. So if you'd like to chime in say hi to us, talk, talk with us about any of these topics or any fallout stuff at all, then please join the robots radio discord. If you're not already on there and otherwise is would any of you guys like to drop anything else off for people to get out to you, reach out to you, say on Twitter or other locations, anything else? Anyone else wants to add in? I'm not going to go down the list because I know not, not everybody wants to do that necessarily, but Zemnis. I'm on Twitter uh, at Zemnis, uh, the night wolf. I'm also on YouTube. Uh, the same uh, Twitch, uh, I'm the same as well. And I also want to send uh, two two shout-outs, too, as well. Um, one is to Nunamer and Soybean for making the wonderful community that they've started and me being able to be a part of that and helping them out with that. It's been an amazing pleasure to get to know different ones and be able to be a part of that. And also... The second shout out is to my brother and sister uh, for, you know, accepting me as a part of their family and being able to go through what they have and still be the amazing people that they are. That's awesome. Nunamur, did you want to chime in? Yeah, just uh, thank you uh, to Zemnes for uh, the kind words there. Um, it's great having him as part of our faction. And our faction is continuing to grow. And um, as I was talking about before, um, going along with this episode, is it's been really important to Soy and I to make that faction a safe space, um, a non-judgment zone, a, a place where people can be themselves, whether it be um, expressing their sexuality, their gender, their race, whatever it may be. 
Um, so that's been uh, been very important to us, and it's been nice finding people that are willing to support that. So if you're interested in joining a community that is um, all about that, and that's one of our main focuses is making that space that safe space community. Uh, you know, you can find out more information about us uh, here on uh, Robots Radio Discord, um, on Twitter at uh, Nunamur, and uh, my PSN is Neo Prowl. Uh, send me a send me a firm request, and we'd love to uh, get to meet you in Fallout seventy six and uh, PS four. Awesome, yay, Mothman! All right, anyone else want a soybean? Yes, I'll just throw in. Uh, yes, everyone is welcome. We pride ourselves on that, as Nanamar said. Uh, I'm going to throw out a few PSAs. Uh, you can't see it, but I'm driving a little here because I need to make myself do this uh, in this trying time. Um, Black Lives Matter. Hey, that's not political. Sorry, everyone who thinks it is. Happy Pride Month. Uh, COVID is still a thing, so wear your masks. Wash <laughs> wear your freaking hands. masks. Social distance. <laughs> Please wear your mask. Uh, I made a tweet about this a while ago. Um, if you're not wearing your mask, that's telling me that your comfort is worth more than my safety. So thanks. Yeah, uh, yeah. I made yeah. a point. I made a point on uh, social media the other day on, on my Facebook, which is mostly family and friends and things. Um, but I, I made the point that I was like, I was like, I wear a mask for the same reason I wear pants. Not for my comfort. Exactly. It's for your, exactly. for your, <laughs> for your well-being. <laughs> so yes. Uh, Thanks, everybody. Uh, just be good to each other. Uh, empathy is the golden rule. Awesome. All right. That's a great place to end this. Um, you guys know how to reach out to me. You know, you know all the ways to do that. Firewriter, did you want to chime in right at the end? Oh, I didn't have like a PSA or, <laughs> or yeah. a community promote. I just wanted to say if you want to come find me on Twitter, um, Firewriter, F-Y-R-E, you're the one who writes. <laughs> And I'm on uh, PlayStation with that as well. And just a big shout out to my baby, who is the uh, the uh, bravest person I know. Oh, oh, that's sweet. All right, everybody. Well, that wraps up our episode for this month. If you would like to join us for next month, oh, and of course, we need to discuss what we're going to talk about next time. Um, check out patreon.com slash fall lorecast tier four gets to or higher gets to join us uh tier five was reduced in price from a hundred dollars to fifty dollars that's a pretty high tier uh Firewriter is our only tier five patron right now and you will hear her get called out at the end of all the episodes uh at least the new ones that get made so thank you Firewriter. as long as you're a tier five member you'll get called out on each of those episodes um and i think that's about it man this this episode has been awesome thank you to all of you guys for putting stuff together and we'll be chatting on the discord about what the topic will be next month i don't have any ideas Do you guys have any other any ideas any things that that's been kicked around recently nothing nothing yet sometimes there's always something that's like just kind of comes up like well, what about this but we'll come up with something maybe we'll come up you know what it would be fun to do um this is what i did last week on the elder scrolls lorecast patron episode or last week last month is i put together a little quiz we did kind of a little game show episode that might be fun we could form teams and do a little game show if you guys are interested in that so it's just an idea throw it out there but until next time everybody stay safe wear a mask treat everybody as best you can and uh we'll talk to you next time see you later 
plug into everything else we're doing, check out robotsradio.net. Also, look up the Robots Radio YouTube for videos about Fallout and other things. And check us out on Twitter, twitter.com slash robotsradio. This podcast was brought to you in part by our patrons at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast, including our tier five patrons. Thank you so much to Firewriter for supporting the show. Also, if you're interested in business inquiries, advertising on the show, or applying to be a podcast on the Robots Radio Network, send me a message at falloutlorecast at gmail.com or robotsnetwork at gmail.com.